Whoa, Emma, I can barely see you with this yellow haze everywhere. I know, this plant sperm is getting out of control, and it's affecting everyone's allergies. And covering cars. I know, my car is blue and it just looks disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it gets all over everything. My deck is covered. I just swept my deck, like, last week, and it's already covered in yellow. Yeah, it's almost purposeless to do anything while it's happening because you sweep one day, the next day it's totally yellow again, and then all the slush in the sewers turns yellow, your clothes turn yellow. I love wearing black, so that's not a great color at this time of the year. (laughs) Good luck, good luck. (laughs) Yeah, you can't fight it, you just let it happen. Well, with spring in full swing, we thought allergies would be a really great um, topic to cover. But before we get into allergies, let's uh, define them a little bit and talk about the immune system. So allergies are often confused with food intolerances. Um, When we define allergies, though, we're talking about an overreaction of the immune system to things in your everyday life. These can be things like dust, dogs, different kinds of foods, and many other different things. However, food intolerances only affect your digestive system and not your immune system. We've talked about the innate immune system before in our flu and vitamin D podcast episode, but we wanted to give you a brief refresher. Basically, our body has two different kinds of immunity. These two kinds of immunity are called innate and adaptive immunity. Adaptive immunity is how your body adapts to pathogens. So you can think of a flu shot where you're exposed to a dead part of the virus and then your body knows the real virus when it sees it. In this way, your body has a memory. Innate immunity is not memory-based and this is a type of immunity that responds when there is a foreign object involved. So this type of immunity we can think of when we talk about an allergic reaction. And the immune system's response can be classified in different ways. Allergies are a type 1 hypersensitivity response. These responses are not as harsh as other responses your immune system can have. The type 2, 3, and 4 hypersensitivity responses actually happen when your immune system attacks your body, thinking that parts of your body are foreign objects. The immune system works by identifying these foreign objects that come into your body. Your white blood cells are your first line of defense against these objects. And these objects can be anything in the air, in the food that you eat, or even things that you touch. When you come in contact to one of these objects, the white blood cells will produce antibodies uh, that are there to respond to the threat. So you can kind of think of your immune system like a library filled with reference books. These reference books are filled with antibodies, which are the compounds that bind and recognize one specific compound, whether it recognize dust or dogs or other kinds of food. When your body comes into contact with something foreign, your immune system opens the book of immunoglobulin E or IgE, and this is a specific antibody that can recognize the foreign object. There are many different types of IgEs, each specific to a different foreign object. So you'd have a different IgE for a dog versus dust. And this IgE gets activated and remains in your blood when the foreign object is present. 
So these IgE responses normally happen within 15 minutes of being exposed to an allergen. So they are really quick. Your body responds to foreign objects quickly, so that way you can deal with the foreign object. And this is how you know Emma is was an English major, because her uh, analogy is the library. I love it. <laughs> I have to put books in there as much as I can. So doctors can actually perform allergy tests by measuring the total levels of IgE in your blood to see if you're having an allergic response. Um, and they'll look at different individual IgEs in the blood to determine what you're allergic to. So getting, getting into allergy tests, there's many different kinds of allergy tests. You've probably seen the skin tests, the blood tests, the hair tests. There's like electrical tests that people do, but also these tests, there's quite a few of them, but they also have quite a bit of limitation. For the allergy skin test, they put a compound on your skin to see how your body responds, and they expect to see a visible little bump or skin response showing that you're allergic to the compound they put on you. For those with eczema or other skin issues, this is not a great test for them to do because their body already has kind of an immune response happening at their skin level. Um, don't those skin tests involve like them poking you with needles too? Yeah, they do. They basically take a little bit of the foreign object or the compound and poke you in your skin to see how Just you respond. With, like tens of needles. Yeah, yeah so it's if a you're lot. afraid of needles, that test is out too. Yeah. You can do other tests, like when my sister, she is actually allergic to milk, not just lactose intolerant, but allergic. Uh, and we just put like yogurt on a Band-Aid when she was little and put it on her skin and she just welted up very oh, quickly. Wow. That's kind of terrifying. Yeah. Another kind of test is to measure the total IgE levels in the blood. But this one gets a little more difficult because adult ranges of IgE levels can vary quite a bit. So a better solution is to test the IgE for individual allergens, and then that way you can pick out what is causing the higher IgE level. Right, because if you have a high total IgE level, great, you're allergic to something, but what are you actually allergic to? So these tests are really great for picking out individual allergens. And it's been estimated that the IgE blood tests and the skin tests give pretty similar responses when it comes to allergies, especially for allergies to inhalants like dust, cat hair, etc. And the variability that comes from testing food allergies comes from the different allergens being tested, but also how the allergens themselves are purified. If you have one company doing a food test and purifying this food compound one way versus another company purifying it another way, you may respond differently to the test just based off of their purification. Some of you may have heard when people do gluten sensitivity tests, some of these tests only look at one aspect of the gluten molecule. When re in reality, I think there's five or six that they could look at, but they're only looking at one. So you may be allergic to one part of the gluten molecule that they're actually not testing. Wow, that's crazy. On the one hand, like with the purification one, that can be so sensitive but on the other hand with the gluten test that you mentioned like you could really be missing stuff if you're not informed about how that test works right and we'll talk a little bit later about elimination diets and kind of how that plays into allergies but if you have if you get a test back that says you're allergic to something it could be a false positive it could be a false negative there's a lot more you need to do beyond just getting that test back which we'll get into later Totally. It can be confusing. I mean, my parents thought I was allergic to peanut butter when I was younger. 
What a tragedy. Yeah. I broke out in like a rash when I had it once, but then Ooh. I went to get one of these skin tests. That's why I know about the needles, guys. Um, Traumatic part of your yeah. childhood. Oh, yeah. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> uh, turns out I'm not allergic to peanut butter, but since I didn't eat it for so long, now I just like, I didn't like it for years. Now I, it's all right. I don't know. Not crazy about it. So you don't like Reese's Cups? I do. Okay, good. Just like peanut butter sandwiches is like a little heavy. I don't know. Mm. Oh, those are so good. Makes me want one right now. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, but back to allergies. Um, some of these genetic tests that we're talking about actually require you to send in a hair sample. However, hair does not have any of those IgE antibodies in it that we talked about. So it can't tell you what kinds of foods that you're allergic to. So another test that's touted as a food allergy test is to test the total IgG levels. Now, immunoglobulin G is another immune response that your body has to many substances, including food. However, high levels of IgG are just indicative of foods that you've recently eaten, so it can't tell you if there are actually specific foods that you're allergic to, since any food that you eat will raise IgG levels. So it's really important to do your research concerning these allergy tests so that A, you're not wasting your time, and B, you're not wasting money on a test that can't actually really tell you anything. Exactly. And Emma kind of alluded to this earlier, but one of the most effective allergy tests is food elimination diets in which you eliminate foods from your diet slowly and, and then slowly add them back in to see how your body responds. So this can be really hard to do because it affects, like, obviously everything that you're eating and you have to keep really detailed records of your body's response to certain foods. But it can be a good way to confirm an IgE test or a skin prick test since these tests can also give the false positives that we talked about. Yeah, and these tests, if you go into the clinic, this is what people are going to recommend you to do. They'll look at your allergy tests, and if you ha come up with something that shows you're highly allergic, they'll have you eliminate it out of your diet for, I think, two to three weeks, and then add it back in to see if your body mounts an immune response to it. Two, three, that can be really disruptive, I bet. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I'm at, like, I've tried to cut milk out of my I know I cut gluten out of my diet for a while because I was having some intestinal issues and I think it was more related to stress rather than a food allergy but it was hard I had to plan ahead for so many events I was going to and all the free food on campus all of it had gluten in it so I just did oh not partake <laughs> that's so hard as a grad student there's free food everywhere yes uh, and it is hard to resist very hard <laughs> As you can imagine, there are more and more genetic allergy tests on the market, and some of them tout some pretty strong claims about being able to identify 96 allergens from one pinprick of blood. While this can sound very attractive and like a quick way to find allergens, let's dive into the science. Many of these tests work by looking at specific locations in your DNA. They look in your DNA to see if there's any certain genetic variants present that have been shown in previous studies to contribute to an allergic reaction. So these tests seem pretty fantastic because it's personalized to you. However, in the field of genetics and nutrition, it's really a new field and there still needs to be a lot more research done. Many of the studies that these companies base their tests on have been done in European populations with very small sample sizes. 
So they may find associations, but it is for a limited group of people that's not really representative of our diverse population. Exactly. And we're also seeing a lot of these tests come out for predicting the best types of food for your genetics. And while studies have been done in certain populations, like those with fatty liver disease and other diseases that recommend them to eat certain foods based off of big genetic studies, for the majority of people, there are not enough studies out there that can predict if you should eat higher carb, lower carb, based off of your genetics. But people want a quick answer and a quick way to lose weight or feel better. And oftentimes that takes time and energy that you have to put in at the gym or put in figuring out what your body responds best to. And speaking of genetics, there are some families where allergies are definitely prevalent and these families have a genetic component that is leading to more allergies in the family. And the type of genes that are tested in allergy genetic tests, especially when you're talking about uh, in a family, they test genes that are more associated with an overall immune response. So someone finding out that they have a mutation in an immune response gene could help explain why they have many allergies and it seems like they keep having more and more come up. It's harder to pinpoint specific genes being tied to a specific allergy. In the case of lactose intolerance, you actually can, but we'll save lactose intolerance for our next podcast. One important thing to note with these at-home allergy tests and at-home tests in general is that it's better to have these results interpreted by a doctor. So we talked about this with the 23andMe um, YouTube video uh, where we recommended that you actually talk to the healthcare professional if you come back and have a variant with a certain disease. A danger of doing these types of tests and not having a doctor help interpret this with you is that you may drop a food or multiple foods out of your diet, but not supplement back the nutrients that you that were in those foods. In the UK, a study was done and showed that children were being malnourished because their because their parents were interpreting these allergy tests without a healthcare provider, and they took their kids off a bunch of foods. And when multiple allergy tests were done on these kids and actually interpreted by a healthcare professional and they did an elimination diet, most of the kids did not have allergies, but they were being treated like they did and being malnourished because of it. That's so sad. Yeah, I mean, nutrition is just really hard. We need to take in a lot of things to stay alive, I'm realizing, after I borrowed this Vitamania book from Emma. (laughs) Ah, such a good book. It's... The subject of a future (laughs) podcast, for sure. But yeah, I mean, nutrition, it's one of those things. It's, I mean, we say everything's personal to everyone, but nutrition is so much that way. I mean, you can, certain foods people should not have and other people can handle them just fine. And it's really all about getting a balance of nutrients and not just always eating gluten-free and paleo, keto. I know someone who did keto for a while there. <laughs> I gave it a try. Knocking on the keto, I, I hear. I, you know what? There's some recipes from that book that I love. I keep it. I, I got hooked on the zoodles. Oh, you have to teach me how to make those. I bought a zoodle. Oh, no. My mom gave me a zoodler, and I need to go over with her and see how she made them. But I tried to zoodle four zucchinis and cooked them all at the same time, and it was a watery mess. Yeah, they're really easy to overcook. I'm... I've experienced, but I had them tonight. They were tasty. 
So much like nutrition, allergies are really complicated because there's so many things that affect how the immune system works. It's been hypothesized that people who have a lot of allergies tend to have a hyperactive immune system. I've also heard a lot about the hygiene hypothesis. Basically, back in the old days, people were exposed to many more pathogens and bacteria by working on farms, and thus they were able to build up more immunity. And with so many people living in cities and being clean freaks, there's a lot less of this ability. And so we as a population are not as adapted to bacteria and pathogens. And they hypothesize that this can come out in allergies. That's why you see people saying it's good to let your kids play in dirt or have a pet because sometimes they're more exposed to microorganisms. So does this have anything to do with the microbiota that they're exposed to? Yes, they think a lot of this has to do with your gut health and... If you have kiddos getting in the mud and being on farms or with nature, they're more exposed to microbes and they can get some better colonization in their gut. And we're learning more and more that your gut has so much to do with the rest of your body because you have more bacteria in your gut than I think you have. I think there's, I'm trying to remember that statistic of like the bacterial genome versus the human genome. And if you have so many more bacteria in your gut than even what you have in your genome in terms of genes, then they could have a larger effect. That's crazy to think about. We're more bacteria than us. (laughs) I think we are. That's wild. Beyond the gut, it's also thought that many environmental factors have also led to an increase in allergies in the Western world. Genetics can play a part in allergies, but the environment plays an equal part, if not greater. So an article that we cite in the note mentions comparisons of the populations in Germany after the wall came down and how the people in the city had more allergies compared to those that were living in farms. And there's also research being done on how epigenetics can affect allergies. So epigenetics is how the environment affects our genetics and diet plays a huge part in if genes are turned on and off. So a scientist now is doing research into aminotherapies and seeing how that can affect someone's allergic state. And he's been able to reverse people's allergies and see genetic changes happen as a result. So we're linking a really great NPR article in the show notes as well if you're interested in reading more. Take this time of quarantine to uh, do an elimination diet. You've got weeks. There you go. I mean... You might have to eliminate some things with how people are panic yeah. buying. So You could start with toilet paper. I don't know how many people eat toilet yes. paper, but um, yeah, <laughs> it's not on any shelves <laughs> near you. <laughs> Good luck with the yellow fog. 